Well, hello everybody. Uh, Neil Hannaford here for the Don't Tread on Me podcast channel. Um, this is the what is it now? I think the third uh, third episode I've done talking about a few topics. Uh, today I want to talk about um, a couple things. First, I want to talk about this whole net neutrality that's come up. Um, big news! Apparently, it's going to bring down the world. And as usual, these things get sensationalized and. People believe that we're now going to, um, the internet is going to implode. Uh, we're not going to be able to download uh, scores from ESPN and our thoughts uh, from news and uh, news stations and things like that. Um, and, you know, much like anything, uh, anything else, it's uh, not true. And, you know, the whole net neutrality, um, again, you know, I've said this before, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a telecommunications, you know, expert. But, you know, on a few different uh, shows that I listen to and then doing some research myself, you know, I've kind of looked around and said, all right, what is this net neutrality? What does it mean? I'm a big tech guy. I love technology. Um, always have, you know, my entire life. And is this really going to be something that's going to, you know, change things and really uh, potentially hurt consumers? And, you know, when you look at it, the first thing that made me skeptical about what a lot of people on the left wing or pro-Obama people uh, were saying that made me skeptical was when people were basically saying that that this was put in place for the possibility in the future that ISPs could... um, could start charging people for bandwidth to specific websites. And, you know, one of the biggest things that should always be a red flag to anybody is when the government starts to put in policy regulations for things that have not occurred but possibly could occur. And the reason why I say that is is that you need to be careful with stuff like that because there's a lot of things in our world that could happen that end up never happening. Um, And if the government starts putting regulations to try and cover up every single potential possible thing that could happen uh, that's that's viewed as being negative in some way, shape, or form to individuals, then where are the regulations going to stop? And that's one of the things, you know, people with more conservative, libertarian, small government type thinking, that's a huge principle that we deviate from, um, especially those on the left wing and, and hardcore um, uh, Bernie Sanders type socialists or communists, really, um, is that the amount of regulations. Now, these regulations for net neutrality were put in a couple years ago, and quite honestly, um, you know, anything that was put in during the Obama administration, I think you have to really take a step back and ask yourself why it was done. Because I'm not attacking Barack Obama the man. I have uh, respect for him as a, as a human being. But for him as a executive and as a legislator and as a politician... There's very few, if any, things that I um, agree with him on. And net neutrality would be one of those that's right at the top of the list. And this kind of goes into all of the regulations that, you know, Trump's begun uh, to repeal back. Now, I'm not going to say that there isn't any regulation that the government has um, out there that doesn't yield any benefit. But I am going to tell you that almost 
every single one that comes my way or is debated and discussed either on you know talk radio or on the news channels or what have you, um, almost every one of those, I sit there scratching my head, heads almost saying the same thing. Why is the government involved in this? What's the point? Like, what is it going to do? So for net neutrality, they put in these regulations to potentially prevent ISPs from um, having a situation where they downgrade your YouTube service and then make you pay for it. Now, I mean, my whole point with that is, is that, again, where does the, where do these things end? So if you're going to start regulating for that, when, you know, where does it stop and where does it end and what's the benefit? Now, I'll be honest with you, part of me scratches my head on the whole net neutrality as to why even the Obama administration and the FCC at the time felt that they even needed to do something with this. Um, But, you know, just like anything, it could have been a lobby, could have been some, you know, not uh, ISPs, but websites that were a little worried, or maybe even ISPs that were worried they're happy the way things are going, um, and they don't want to have to play the game where if you're working at Netflix... Um, that now I've got to have business relationships with all the ISPs, have agreements with them, and, you know, the government can come in and put in a regulation, and then if you're Netflix, you don't have to worry about it anymore. The government is, quote-unquote, protecting you and also, quote-unquote, protecting the consumer. But the reality is, is what happens is anybody with uh, some semblance of knowledge of economics will tell you that when the government puts in regulations, it starts to make that pretty easy, relatively easy concept of supply and demand. Now it starts making that um, have to take into account what's called in economics externalities, external factors. So, you know, you have your supply and demand, and in a free market, that's just it. Where supply and demand meet, you have your equilibrium price, And everybody is happy. You know, consumers are getting what they want. Uh, Producers are selling the good or service that they want at a price that yields them a profit that keeps their shareholders and stakeholders happy. What happens when the government comes in and says, hey, we know better than the rest of you, free market, and average Joe and average Sally, we are going to start putting in these regulations. Well, they start now creating these externalities. And the way I kind of picture externalities is, you know, if you remember when you were a kid and you went to a brook or a creek and you, you know, like to get your hands dirty and you threw in, you know, stones and things and you tried to build a dam to stop the water, create a little flood or whatever, you know, fun things that you do as a kid. That's almost the same thing that happens, at least how I visualize it, when the government impedes on the flow of commerce or capital, uh, which is supply and demand in this case. And what happens is, is when you put those stones in the water, what happens? Well, the answer is the water finds its way and it goes around the rock and it makes, you know, come, come one way or another, it gets around the obstacle and it flows down the stream. Now, what happens, you keep putting in rocks and there's more and more and more obstructions. Each one of those rocks is what I call a market inefficiency. And it's driven by this externality that you've introduced into the free market system. Net neutrality, to me, is exactly that type of, uh, uh, that type of thing that the federal government did. They said, well, we've got to come in and regulate this. 
And let's be honest, I mean, does the government know anything about internet commerce? Remember, the government, all the government does is takes money and it redistributes wealth. Okay, the government is not really an expert in anything. All it does is transfer wealth from this group to that group, puts in regulations, um, tries to see how they can uh, maximize revenue for the government because of those regulations, appease lobbyists. That's what the government is doing. So for net neutrality, what's basically happening is the government is helping, in this case, a Netflix and kind of hurting an ISP. And it's stifling uh, commerce, and it's stifling the supply and demand relationship of good and services. And it's thinking that it's doing us a favor, that it's protecting us, but it's really not. Um, one of the things to remember about net neutrality is the Internet's been around for 20-some-odd years now, and the net neutrality was introduced two years ago. So really, um, all of a sudden, we needed it, you know, two years ago. For years and years and years, you know, Netflix has been around for a long time. Have we really needed any of this? And the answer is no. Um, but the Obama administration and all their infinite uh, wisdom put it in, and now Trump's, uh, Trump's people basically, um, on a partisan vote, they uh, repealed it the other day. And, of course, a lot of people are up in arms now saying, well, this means that, um, you know, consumers have lost and there's going to be huge problems with the Internet. Uh, people are going to have their service providers, you know, increasing their bills and things like that uh, now so that they can get streaming from the sites that they want. Um, and But there's no proof that any of this is going to happen. Now, I'm not going to say that there is no chance that down the road a ISP, okay, I have Verizon Fios, that Verizon Fios could come to me and say, hey, um, you know, Netflix uses 50% of our bandwidth, so people who use Netflix um, and they want to not have any speed degradation, we're going to have to charge them $2.99, you know, more a month. Now, that's possible, okay, that's entirely possible. And you may have some people who actually pay for it and some people that don't. But my whole point is, how do you think, if, if people or consumers dislike that choice by Verizon, what do you think they can do? And I'll give you other examples. Let's say you like buying jeans from The Gap. And for whatever reason, okay, Gap increases their prices. And they used to be $29.99, and now they've increased it to $34.99 or to $39.99. Well, what do you as a consumer in a free economy have the choice Have the choice to do? You can either, one, just say whatever, hand over your debit card and buy it, or you can say, I'm not buying Gap jeans anymore. And you go and you buy Wrangler or you buy, you go to Aeropostale, you go to Abercrombie & Fitch, you go to Target, Kmart, Walmart, whatever. You make the decision, and you basically, quote-unquote, vote with your feet. Now, why is that any different in net neutrality? How is that any different? So if the ISP says, hey, Neil, I'm going to increase, if you want to go to, if you want to stream um, English Premier Soccer from NBCSN, I'm going to charge you $2.99. Well, I can either make the choice and say, hey, NBCSN is that important to me. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Or I can say, you know what, Verizon, 
as soon as I'm done with you in a contract, my contract's up, I'm moving with my fee and moving to another provider. Now, I know some people don't like that because they say then, well, but you're in a contract. That's not really fair. Well, it's just like, you know, it's just like anything. I mean, their prices can be increased on you at any time. Uh, whether you're in, you know, contracts or not, I mean, the cable companies uh, increase prices all the time. And again, you have the choice. You can either say, no way, I'm done after this contract, and you can choose another good, or, you know, another provider or not. But the consumer has the choice. Now, when you start putting in government regulations, okay, that in this case are protecting the Netflixes of the world, someone always pays, and that's the piece that I think a lot of people who don't understand economics don't realize. There is always someone, that, someone or some entity that pays when market inefficiencies are introduced into an otherwise generally free market system. And that's what I think in net neutrality people don't understand. Because if you, you're now, you're now basically, in, in this example I've used, you're favoring Netflix over the ISP. So one industry is getting a benefit over another and it's being arbitrarily decided by the government. And, you know, if you're the ISPs, that's not necessarily fair. And this can also impact the consumer big time. And I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking, how could, you know, how, you know, going through my brain and all the, uh, the plays from an economics perspective. And, you know, one way to think about it is, is that let's say in Fios's case, you know, half your bandwidth is used up by people who use Netflix. And the people on the other side of that who never use Netflix, they suffer a lot of network, um, a lot of network drops because they're not allowed to, um, because so much is being sucked up in the entire network by Netflix. So what happens? Well, what happens is those people who don't use Netflix, you know, they get hurt by having less than optimal uh, network speeds and network connectivity, but they're paying the same amount. So a consumer in that case that doesn't use Netflix is being hurt. Now, if there's no net neutrality and FIO says, you know what, we've got to do something. Half of our network is being used by these Netflix people and these other users are really, I mean, it's really taxing our network. Now, if they start charging an extra price for the Netflix usage, I think what will happen is, this is just my own thought in my head, how I see it playing out, is the hardcore Netflix users are going to pay the $2.99 a month or whatever. And the people who passively use it or leave it on all the time for the kids or whatever and then leave the room, they are not going to do it as much. They're going to be more cognizant of it if they have to pay for it. So I think overall, the whole everybody who uses the network, they see a net benefit. That's the point that I'm kind of trying to make here is that um, – but by not doing that, the inefficiency sits with the ISP provider. You know, Netflix, I mean, is there really as much of an onus on them to improve their technology, to have better network connectivity, and to get more resolution in the least, you know, size from a data perspective? Not really, because they're protected by the government. It's really the ISP then that has to deal with all of these problems now. 
uh, from you know a network connectivity perspective. So they don't really care. And you know these the people who don't use Netflix um, in this particular case, they're the ones that now bear a burden for other people. Now, this is something we could go on for hours. There are many cases of that um, in our country. You know, a good uh, comparison is, you know, old people, empty nesters who don't have uh, kids any longer in, in, you know, living with them in their municipality, but yet they're still paying school taxes. You'll hear, you, you do hear a lot of people talk about that. And, and they're absolutely right. In that particular case, they are paying for services that they are not using. And I believe that the more you have that in a society, the less free people are. And you're paying for goods and services that you don't use. And unfortunately, in our uh, society, which really over the last 40, 50 years um, has been a big government and a growing government, um, and many socialist policies, you know, being put in place, that is becoming more and more and more of an issue uh, where people who don't use a good or service also bear the burden of paying for it. And I think the, the long-term ramifications of that um, are definitely not good on society and not good on individual liberties. Um, because I also feel when you do that, that is where you start getting um, certain groups feeling resentment towards others. Now, some might say, whoa, Neil, this is quite a stretch from net neutrality, but I'm just trying to paint the overall picture of the principle of what I'm talking about and why I think net neutrality um, is part of that. So that's kind of that, um, you know, on the net neutrality. So I'm glad it's gone. I think it's a good thing that it's gone. And we'll see uh, what happens, you know, we'll all uh, hold hands and uh, wait for the lights to go out and the internet uh, to die a horrible death, which is what um, some organizations and some uh, reporters are saying. Uh, now moving right along, I wanted to uh, touch quickly for a couple minutes on uh, the Jerusalem proclamation that President Trump did last week. Um, you know, what I find interesting about this one is, uh, first of all, I was firmly in favor of him uh, doing this. But what I find hysterical is some of the reaction. And it's the same old that you hear and see all the time, um, primarily from the left wing um, and from socialists and communists, is that well, now this, oh gosh, this is now going to uh, blow the lid off of uh, the Middle East. Well, now we know that that's not going to happen, okay? And that this is not going to be the single item that blows the lid off. Why do I say that? The lid's off, everybody. There are terrorist attacks going on in Israel all the time. Now, President Trump coming out and saying, hey, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. We recognize it. We're going to move the embassy there. How, how is that all of a sudden going to be what causes um, the conflict to finally occur? If anybody's been watching TV or had a pulse in the last, I don't know, you know, 70 years, they would know that there has been an Israeli-Arab conflict. There has been several wars. And how this is going to play into actually causing that, I'm not certain of. Now, could there be that there will be some riots and, you know, some issues? Um, I haven't heard of anything yet really in the last, you know, week or so that's occurred. Uh, but, you know, it's certainly possible. Of course it could happen. But I don't feel that Trump 
proclaiming Jerusalem as the capital is what's going to finally cause more more violence, more bloodshed. And by the way, also, this was a bipartisan resolution that was voted on um, many, many years ago. And then I think there was another um, affirmation or some proclamation done in Congress within the last 12 or 18 months or so on this subject. So I'm kind of scratching my head as to why all of a sudden it is now this gigantic you know, issue and why all of a sudden the Democrats are now not in, uh, not in favor of it. So this, to me, shows, again, the problem that I have with a lot of the establishment politicians, and especially on the left wing, and Democrats, and the horrendous Maxine Waters of the world, and, and that whole crew, and Pelosi, is that it doesn't matter what the issue is. It doesn't matter what the discussion's about, the legislation, or whatever. If Trump is for it, they are against it. And to me, then why are you in office? I mean, I want, you know, we should all want politicians that are in office that are looking for our best interests and what's right for the country, not just following these dogmatic um, ideologies just because they don't like an individual person. You know, you can hate Donald Trump and still agree or disagree and look at his policies holistically and make an educated decision. But right now, all we see is knee-jerk. Trump wants it. We don't want it. Knee-jerk. Trump doesn't want it, so we want it. And it has nothing to do with the policy itself. You may dislike or like uh, uh, you know, President Trump, and that is totally within your – I mean, we're in a free country. But have a backbone and actually do your job and look at an issue – and decide what's best for you and your constituency and what's in the best interests of the American people. Don't just rubber stamp something or an ideology or policy because the person that is um, leading it, you don't happen to like. That's something you do as a three-year-old or a four-year-old on a playground. You don't do that as an adult in the United States Senate or in the United States House of Representatives. So, you know, I mean, that's where I, that's where I end on that. That's about it for uh, this particular edition. I just want to remind everybody that the government that governs best governs least or even not at all.